0: 12. We're talking about running our best lap yet. Remember, Pastor Andy shared the vision, and it was that we're going to be running our best lap. So, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1, it's going to come up on the screen, and I know by now everybody can quote the scripture. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. I don't know about you, I cannot, I tell you what, I am on full speed at the moment. I don't know what it is, but just I know God is on things, and we are just running, running, we running to keep up with all that God is doing so we're going to run our best lap yet and I love what the I think it's the message translation says that we're going to have no excess weight no excess fat and no parasitic sin a parasite is something sometimes you don't know that you've got a parasite and suddenly you realize you think I wonder what that is you know under suddenly forming and it's a little parasite that you don't might not know that you've got but um But we're going to, just to recap some of the stuff, and I realize how much we've ground, we've covered in the last couple of weeks. Um, We spoke about, remember the the first message was about the three Ps of running our race, and it was preparation, that days of preparation are never wasted. Preparation, running with perseverance, and running with passion. And we see from that scripture as well, it said, we also, since we are surrounded by so great, let us run our race. So we, it's a plural and it's an individual. We have an individual race to run, but we also have a corporate race to run. Today was a perfect example of that. Amy, for the first time in three years, we said to Amy, don't come in at nine o'clock. Well, that's why the sound wasn't working, the chairs weren't out properly, things weren't done properly, I mean, because we have need of Amy this morning, believe you me, Amy, Next Sunday, you'll be here at nine o'clock, okay? (laughs) But the point is, we need each other. We cannot do it on our own. We just can't. And so when we're running our race, although we're running individually, we're running corporately. We're running our race. When we're running our race, we've got to know the distance. Are we, and we all know that the Christian race, it's a marathon. It's not a 100-yard dash. It's a marathon. And we've got to have vision. First of all, we've got to make sure that, this, that our feet are in the right starting blocks, that our foundation is right, and we've got to know the direction that we're going in. Vision is so important for us individually and as a church. We've got to have a vision for our lives. So the next other things that we've, we've covered, and I realise we've covered so much, um, we've got to be suitably dressed. We cannot be wearing last season's clothes. You know, that is so last year, so last season. We can't be wearing bell-bottoms anymore. Okay, they went out of fashion in the 70s, and people are looking at me saying, what's a bell-bottom? I've never heard of a (laughs) bell-bottom. You're giving your age away. But we're not going to be wearing bell-bottoms. No, last season, it was tracksuits, PJs and slippers. We are not going to be wearing our pajamas and slippers to run this race. We're going to be wearing our trainers. Who's got trainers on today? I almost put mine on and then I thought, no, I just can't do it when I'm preaching. So, uh, but we're gonna wear our trainers. We've got, and we've got to be suitably dressed, but we've got to lay aside every weight. And that's, that was what we, we spoke about in previous weeks. We've got to get rid of those heavy weights. We can't go onto the track armed with a, with a rucksack full of bricks. You're not going to get very far. If you want to train like that, that's one thing. But when you're running your race, you cannot run with any excess baggage, no excess weight or fat. So we got to look, we looked at this a couple of weeks ago about getting rid of our hurts and our disappointments. Forget the past. You know, and sometimes things don't quite work out the way we hoped, the way we imagined. Get over your disappointment. God's days, your best days are still ahead of you. Forget the past, forget your disappointments, and just reach forward for those things. Like the Apostle Paul, I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. Get rid of shame, get rid of guilt. I loved Chris's message last Sunday, I thought it is so rich, even though all he did was lay a foundation and gave an introduction for 35 minutes, but there was so much depth to it, about letting go of the shame and the guilt, about running at rest. How do you run at rest? How do you, when you know who you are in Christ, we're talking about running our race, you've got to know who you are in Christ, You cannot carry guilt, condemnation, shame. The Bible says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. None. Like Chris was explaining last week, that courtroom drama, if there's the the charge sheet, and your sin and my sin is on that charge sheet, and Jesus is the one in the dock, and he is the Lamb of God. And the judge says to Jesus, are you the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? And he said, yes, that's me. I, t- I am the Lamb of God. And the judge pulls out that charge sheet and shows the, t- shows the list of sins. This sin, this sin, this sin. Not just murder, but what about the secret sins of our heart? You know, envy, Hatred. What about those sins? Stuck to, the, to that charge sheet and all of those charges. And Jesus says, I'm guilty. I'll pay the price. I'll pay the price for all those sins. And he went to the cross and laid down his life for you and for me. What, that is so freeing. That is so liberating. So let us lay aside every weight. And the Bible goes on then to say, let us lay aside every sin which so easily ensnares us, everything that can trip us up. Whatever, you know, a thing that ensnares you is a a trap. It's like an animal trap, like a bear trap that these guys in the States lay. Hey, Amy, up north though, not in the Midwest, further north, these guys in Canada, they do it. They lay bear traps. And what can happen is an animal can get caught in that bear trap and it can kill them, and that's what happens if we, when we get tripped up, when sin ensnares us, we can get tripped up, and it can cause harm, not just to ourselves, but to others. What what happens in our lives impacts those around me. So we need to be aware of the sin which so easily ensnares us. It's so easy. In Genesis chapter four. Verse seven: God says to Cain, "Sin is crouching at your door, and its desire is for you. Sin is crouching at your door." Now we're not going to get sort of weird about this now. Every time we open up the door, we're going to think, "Oh, it's outside there. It's waiting to pounce on us." But sin can crouch at the door. It's, it's, it shows you its position. It's waiting to pounce. It's lurking in the doorway, but it can't do any harm to you as long as the door is shut. But the minute we open that door, just a crack, we just have to open that door that much for that sin to come in. And, and, and um, in fact, the New Living says, sin is crouching at your door, eager to control you. And that's the purpose of sin, is to control us. To devour you, sin is crouching. It's like an it's like a wild animal sitting there waiting to devour us. And what he can do, what sin can do, it's that sin that so easily ensnares us. It can trip us up. It can make us fall. You know, we watch a little bit of rugby every now and then, and it amazes me. You get these big brutus guys. You know, they're huge. They're just a lump of meat. And they run down, the, they run down the, the field, you know. They're so huge and muscular. and Their necks are like this. And all that they can do, they just have to trip him up. That's an ankle tap, it's called. It's just a, that big, long lump of lard falls to the ground just by an ankle tap. And that's what sin does. Just that little ankle tap. Toosh. There it goes. Manifests. Ooh ooh. Sin is crouching, but we've, got to, but we've got to be careful what the rest of that scripture says. It says, sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. We, we're not a victim to sin. We don't have to be a victim to sin. We can master it. Okay, I don't like preaching on sin. I think we need to be righteousness conscious, but it would be amiss of us if we didn't give the whole counsel of God. And so we, this morning, while I was preparing as well, I didn't just prepare this this morning, I did not just download, you know, it doesn't happen like that. But I was thinking of this, in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, it says, let him who thinks he stands, take heed lest he falls. The, the Bible's clear, Take let him who thinks he stands. We can sometimes listen to a message like this and think, Where's so-and-so they should be here today you know she's speaking about sin <laughs> we so so-and-so ah, look here listen this includes all of us let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall but we're going to lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and so what we're going to do today we're going to give ourselves a bit of a spiritual mot i don't know how many of you have cars but in this country if you have a car, every year, that vehicle has to go for an M.O.T. I don't know what that stands for, but it, it's like a, what does M.O.T. stand for? Um, Motor ordinance something. Test. Must be that. I made that up. <laughs> it sounds right. <laughs> anyway, so every year, we, we give our car an M.O.T. And you know what? At times, we've taken our car in for its little annual checkup. And it's failed the test. It's not passed the test. And, it's, and we've been driving a car around that's actually unroadworthy because there was something faulty with it that we didn't see. And that's what we're going to do today. We're going to have a bit of a spiritual MOT and make sure that there's nothing in us that can actually trip us up. That we can actually, it's almost like having, you know when you go to the airport and you, you go through those scanners and, and it's like, uh, or, or when you have an MRI scan and this whole thing scans your body. It's like that. That's what we're going to have today. Isn't that going to be fun? <laughs> yes, I love it when people laugh and smile at me. Thank you. But look at, listen to what Psalmist says in Psalm 139. The Psalmist David, he says these words, He asks God to examine him. He says, search me, O God, and know me, and see if there is any wicked way in me. Man, he put himself on that MRI scanner that day. Search me and know me and see, God, is there any wicked way in me? You know, last week we had communion, And something that we are told to do, in fact, warned to do, before we take communion, examine yourself. Examine yourself. Make sure there's nothing in you before you partake of communion. So that's just a reminder for next time when we have communion, we're going to examine ourselves. And in another scripture in 2 Corinthians 13.5, the Apostle Paul instructs us to examine ourselves and test ourselves. So, ready for our spiritual MOT? Colossians 2.6 says, as you have received Christ Jesus, so walk in him. And I love what it actually says in the Amplified. I'm just going to read it to you. It says, as you, in the same manner that you received Jesus, the same way that you, that you got saved, that day of salvation, in the same way, what did you do? You surrendered to Jesus we surrendered to him, we humbled ourselves and recognized, I cannot save myself, my good works cannot save me, I am a sinner in need of a savior, that day, that day, when, one, when most of us have done that, when we received Christ Jesus, that day, in the same manner, regulate your life and conduct yourself in union with God, in that way, Regulate your life, and that's what we're going to do. We're going to regulate our life and conduct ourselves so that we're walking in His ways, we're walking in His path. We're not going to have this thing that's going to trip us up. So, in Ephesians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul tells us how we're going to do it is that the ESV? I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord. This is the Apostle Paul. He's imprisoned. This is one of his imprisonment letters. He says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. How? With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Walk with all humility and gentleness. So we've got to walk in humility. That doesn't mean I'm a worm. It doesn't mean I'm a little nobody and everybody can walk all over me. But we need to look at the godly balance of walking in the right path of humility so we don't get tripped up by pride. And that's what we're going to be speaking about today. It's taken me 10 minutes just to get to that point. But we, are going, we need to be aware about the danger of pride but that there is power in humility. Pride is dangerous. You know I just think uh, if I have to put pride into a category, this is not in the Bible, this is just me, My this is just what I feel and what I think, I feel that pride and deception belongs in the same category because so frequently We can have pride in our lives in one area. Maybe not in all areas, but just in a part of our life and not be aware of it. And that's why we've got to have these spiritual MOTs, just to assess ourselves, make sure, examine ourselves. We can be like David and say, examine me, O Lord, and find any wicked way in me. Find it, Lord, point it out to me. Ouch, that hurts. Yes, but it's for your good. It's for your good. So pride and deception, I believe... They're in the same category, and because both of the thing with deception is, you don't know you're being deceived. You're so deceived you don't you don't realise it, and that's the problem with deception. And it's the same with pride. We can have pride, we can have arrogance in certain parts of our lives, and um, that's and that is dangerous. So, what is a definition of pride? Is to be lifted up, to be high-minded. Well do you know who I am? (laughs) To be indulged in self-esteem and self-confidence and to glory in self-achievement. You know, so often we hear these words, you know, I am a self-made man or I'm a self-made woman. You know what that's just pride, that's just pride with a capital P. It's when we have a high opinion of our own dignity, of our significance, of our importance, and our superiority. That's what pride is. And listen to this quote by Andrew Murray. He says, pride, and Andrew Murray, not the tennis player, okay, just, just Andrew Murray, he's an author, a South African author on top of it all, no He's a South African author, brilliant author, And he he said this, pride must die in you, or nothing of heaven can live in you. Pride must die in you, or nothing of heaven can live in you. We cannot have pride and humility in our lives. Pride and godliness cannot coexist. It's not possible. We cannot conform to the image of Jesus if we are full of pride. So if we're going to run our best race yet, our best lap yet, we need to make sure that this thing called pride is not ensnaring us. It's not going to trip us up. And the way that we do it is by, the rest of that scripture says, looking unto Jesus, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Proverbs 16, verse 18, powerful scripture says, pride goes before destruction Pride goes before destruction. If you see pride, oh, oh, there's a fall coming. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. The message translation, or paraphrase, says, first pride, then the crash. The bigger the ego, the harder the fall. Whew, that's powerful, eh? The bigger the ego, boom, the harder the fall. And we see it throughout the Bible. And we're going to take a look at a few people here quickly. In The most obvious one has to be Lucifer. Lucifer, pride is what caused him to fall. Lucifer was once this anointed angel living in the perfect environment of heaven. I mean, he couldn't have lived in a better place. He was in the very presence of Almighty God. Lucifer, but he became full of pride. And he, he became so impressed with himself, with his own beauty, because he was a beauty, beautiful angel, but he became impressed with his own beauty, his own intelligence, and his power, and his position. And he desired the honor and the glory that was due to God. And he fell from that perfect environment of heaven. Whereas Jesus, the Son of God, the Son of Man, he thrived in an imperfect environment on earth. And yet Lucifer had everything going for him, but he fell. Whereas the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, humbled himself and thrived. He thrived in this imperfect world full of sin and sickness and decay. He thrived in it. He went about healing all who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. It's the same sun which melts wax that hardens clay. And the same gospel, the same gospel which melts some people to repentance, hardens others in their hearts. I was speaking to somebody recently, and they were saying to me that their child, their, their child resists everything about God. And it seems like the more she shares her faith, the more they resist. And unfortunately that does happen at times. It can happen, but it clay hardens but wax, wax melts. It's dependent on the condition of the heart. It's got nothing to do with the strength of the heat. It's the condition of the heart. And, you know, when we think about Lucifer being so impressed with his, with his magnificence and his beauty and his splendor, we see it in today's selfie in a generation. There's so much on social media. At times I feel sickened looking at some of the posts. But we aren't to be so impressed by our own beauty. <laughs> Come on, this stuff is just decaying anyway. We're gonna go home and be with the Lord and have glorious bodies. Yes, but we you don't, don't be so impressed by your own beauty and even your own intelligence. It's not that, you're not that great. I'm sorry, you're not that intelligent. Put against God, nah, you're down there. So let's not be so impressed, but let's be blessed with what God has blessed us with. His dignity, like, like Chris was sharing last week, he's blessed us with dignity and with honor. He's crowned us with loving kindness, tender mercies. Come on, what has God done for us? He's accepted us. He's adopted us. Man, this is awesome stuff. Who cares about pouting on social media? I haven't got thick enough lips. But, you know, who cares about that that stuff? Let's not be so impressed by ourselves, and let's not be impressed by our gifting. Oh, man, you know, well, you know, I'm the world's best whatever, I don't know, I don't want to pick on any particular gifting, but make sure, if you have got a gifting, make sure that your character is gonna keep you where your gifting is gonna take you. Your character is what counts. Your character is the most important thing. Make sure that your gift doesn't take you where your character can't keep you. Character is so key. So we need to be people of godly character. Whether we're 12 or 92, that's the, that's the hallmark. We need to make sure that we are conforming to the image of Jesus. And Jesus didn't walk around with a fat head and a thin heart. He didn't. He didn't walk around like that. I've lost my place. I don't know where I am. He humbled himself. He, The Son of God humbled himself. He became a man. He came to earth as a baby. You don't get more humble than that. The Son of God he humbled himself and became a man. We look in um, just a couple of scriptures, an interesting thought actually, just in doing a study on pride, I've noticed that quite a few times in the Bible it says, when pride comes. It's not if, it's when. So we've got to be aware of these things that come to trip us up. do that little MRI scan. Have that little body scan. Listen to Proverbs eleven two. It says, when pride comes, then comes shame. Proverbs 29, 23, a man's pride will bring him low. A man's pride will bring him low. And we read about, um, in the book of Daniel, um, in the book of Daniel, it's this fantastic account of this it's almost like i'm reading the story of chris because i read about this young godly humble good-looking gifted man no, i'm just kidding <laughs> but there's this young godly gifted good-looking guy called daniel he is the epitome of humility and he says there are four kings in the book of daniel and this guy daniel who's a Hebrew. He serves under these kings over the 70 years during Babylonian exile. He serves these kings, and yet he had this excellent spirit. He he could interpret dreams. God gave him this gifting to interpret dreams. He had wisdom. There was so much going for him, and yet he kept himself humble. All throughout the reign, he kept himself humble, Yet one of these kings, I'm just going to pick on him, his name is Nebuchadnezzar, okay? Neb, we call him Neb. He was incredibly fickle. He was, that's just to put it mildly, one minute he's serving God, the next thing he's serving some large 98-foot image, the next thing he's back serving God again, and every time he's like here, he's there, he's like a pendulum. He's like a like a like a metronome, you know, the metronome for the for the keyboard. He just swings from this side to that, and um, one minute he's decreeing, "I've decreed this. You will worship my God, the image that I've had created," and various things happen. Go read about it in Daniel chapters one to four. It's really interesting, and um, but all throughout the first four chapters, there's this huge contrast between Daniel with a spirit of humility and nebuchadnezzar and who who oscillates between serving god and serving his own images and just when we think he's back on track again we pick up in daniel chapter 4 verse 30 to 32 now nebuchadnezzar is now he's just got a revelation that the god of daniel is the awesome God, the God of Israel, is the one God. Then a 12 months passes, and in verse 30, the king spoke, that's Nebuchadnezzar, and he goes around, he says, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty, me, myself, and I? Pride, pride, pride. And verse 31 says, while the word was still in his mouth, a voice fell from heaven, and the voice came and it said, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you, and they shall drive you from men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and and shall make you eat grass like oxen. And seven times, in other words, seven years shall pass over you until you know, this is going to happen, until you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he pleases. Just like that. What is that scripture? A man's pride will bring him low. But just like that, King Nebuchadnezzar lost Everything. He lost his kingdom, he lost his dignity, he lost his mind, and he became, for the next seven years, eating grass like an oxen. And the Bible said that his hair became like eagle's feathers. I mean, it's just so gross. His hair became like eagle's feathers, and his nails were like birds' claws after seven years. A man's pride will bring him low, but there's a good side, there's a good thing, there's something that happens to Nebuchadnezzar, seven years he was like this, eating grass like an oxen, and in Daniel 4.34, he lifts up his eyes to heaven, his understanding returned to him, and he blessed the Most High, it took him seven years, but he lifted his eyes to heaven, his understanding, his his reason, his mind returned to him, and he blessed the Most High. And in verse 36, it says, and at the same time, now this is him speaking, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my honor and splendor returned to me. My counselors and nobles resorted to me, and I was restored to my kingdom, and excellent majesty was added to me. So when, he did, when Nebuchadnezzar lifted his eyes, after seven years of eating grass like an ox, he lifted, he came to his senses, and his kingdom was restored to him. Not just his kingdom, but his dignity and his honor. Proverbs 29:23, the scripture that I've been quoting, says, a man's pride will bring him low but the rest of it says, but the humble in spirit will retain honor. The humble in spirit. And what I love in this account of of Nebuchadnezzar is all throughout his reign, when he was, you know, bowing down and decreeing and telling everybody, worship this 98 foot image that I've had created, then he backslid and next thing you know, worship God. Constantly, all that time, God was trying to reach him. God never gave up on him. He never stopped reaching out to him. And when everything was eventually stripped from him, but then he looked up. He looked up. He looked to God. And Billy Graham came with this quote. He said, pride comes from looking only at ourselves. Meekness comes through looking at God. That's how meekness comes, through looking at God. So, so Nebuchadnezzar had everything stripped from him, but humility came, and God restored him. 1 Peter 5, 5 says, be clothed with humility. In fact, I love it, but it says, for God, be clothed with humility. The, the, the passion says, Wrap your, around yourself the apron of a humble servant. Wrap around yourself the apron of a humble servant. Be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Oh, man, how terrible that God, God doesn't resist us, but, but when we've got pride, he resists that pride he resists it. There's a resistance. So if we're going to run our race well, if we're going to run our race well, and if this is going to be our best lap yet, and it is, it is going to be our best lap yet, we need to lay aside every weight, every weight, and, so, and the, the sin which so easily entangles, that stuff that easily trips us up. And the way we're going to do it is in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, the three words, looking Unto Jesus. Looking unto Jesus. Jesus only did those things that pleased the Father. He was a Father pleaser. Philippians 2, we'll finish with this. Philippians 2, verse 3 says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in lowliness of mind, have a lowly mind, have a lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. In other words, we count others more significant than ourselves. Put ourselves aside and help others get ahead. That's, that's what it's all about. Forget about yourself. Think of yourself less and put others ahead of yourself. Be free from pride-filled opinions. Opinions. Oh, man, I know. I have an opinion about everything. I'm sure I'm not the only one. You all look so innocent out there. But I have an opinion on everything, and I'm sure you do too. But let's just learn to zip it and keep it to ourselves. But we're going to carry on. Philippians 2, verses 5 to 8. Listen to this. Let this mind be in you. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. In other words, if we have to let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, that means we have a choice. The Bible says we have the mind of Christ. But if it says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, it means that we must adopt the same attitude as Jesus, but we, we have a choice in the matter. And he goes on, he says, who, being in the form of God, this is Jesus, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. But verse seven, but he made himself of no reputation. In other words, he emptied himself. He emptied himself, taking the form of a bond servant. Jesus Christ the son of God emptied himself he laid aside his deity he walked on this earth as a man anointed by the holy spirit and with power he showed us how it's done and that's that's the crux of this message that let this mind be let this mind just because we get born again we don't have a lobotomy We let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ. Let's be adopt His attitude. Empty ourselves. How do we get rid of pride in our lives? Starve it. Starve it. It's the only way. And don't focus on. Oh, I feel like I've got pride in my life and how am I going to deal with it, and oh, woe is me. No, you know what, like Chris was sharing last week, there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. The Holy Spirit doesn't come along, press your buttons, and say, you've got pride in your life, young man, young lady. Now you need to sort it out. That's not God. God says, ah, you've had that MRI scan, you've had that that spiritual MOT, and yes, there is a bit of pride here and there, but he will always show you the way out. He will always show you the way out. He doesn't leave us flailing and not knowing the way forward. He always leads us forward. (coughs) Sorry. So, I must decrease, he must increase. Put pride to death. We're going to starve it. (coughs) Sorry. So, we're going to have a spiritual MOT, make sure that we're functioning properly. And i tell you what, if you have during the course of this message, if you have sense, maybe, yeah, I've got a little bit of pride here or a little bit of pride there, just go home, get before God. He will sort it out. He will show it to you. I've had it the whole week, the whole week before that, the whole week before that. It's like God's it's on, just won't let me go. So it's not like we've arrived because we haven't, okay? We're living this thing as well. And, um, but the Holy Spirit wants to empower us and he wants to enable us to get through to the other side. So let's just close our eyes, let's just praise praise God. Thank you Father God for your word.